I guess we'll go ahead and get started. Let me uh, get all my stuff. So uh, this was pretty, I thought this was kind of funny. So uh, up in Michigan, uh, this was up in the UP or the Upper, upper Peninsula. Um, and a bald eagle decided it wanted to take out the uh, department uh, Michigan Department of Environmental or Environment Great Lakes and Energy, whose acronym is also Eagle. So there you go. And uh, I love the the headline: Bald Eagle takes out Eagle's drones because it's 2020 and irony is dead. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, they were mapping. Uh, they used the drones to map for shoreline erosion um, and uh, research and whatnot when a, an eagle decided uh, it just wanted to take it out. So the drone now resides at the bottom of the lake, uh, which I can, you know, I can feel because I've got a drone sitting somewhere at the bottom of a lake. Um, but uh, yeah, so that was pretty unique. Um, one cool thing out of the news article is back in the 1970s, there was only 76 eagles in the area, whereas now there's 849 active bald eagle nesting sites in Michigan. So that's pretty cool. So a DJI Phantom 4 Pro Advanced is only a $950 drone? It's not, but they <laughs> got it for that much. How? <laughs> right. <laughs> Maybe that's the real story here. <laughs> yeah. How did they get a 950 version? <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> So, uh, you know, maybe we need to contact Michigan and figure out where they're getting their deals from. Exactly. Because, uh, yeah, I mean, I'd like a, a Phantom 4 Pro Advanced. So, hey, that's super cool. All right. So um, this article comes from Aviation Today. Um, and this is, let's see, I want to make sure this is the right article. Do, do, do. Yes, it is. I'm sorry about that. Um, so this is discussing uh, the long road ahead for FAA airports on drone security and integration. Uh, this has made uh, pretty big headlines right now. Um, an interagency advisory, which I'll post here in a second as well, uh, has been released from the DOJ, um, the Department of Transportation, uh, the federal, the FCC, and DHS um, regarding the use of uh, detection and uh, mitigation uh, devices for airports uh, against drones. Um, and the interesting part about this is they go through talking about, um, you know, who's basically who's able to use them, which right now, uh, Department of Defense, Energy, Justice, and Homeland Security can engage in limited UAS detection and mitigation activities uh, for counter UAS. Um, but because no other entities have been granted authority, it's important that you know they keep in mind the legal ramifications of using this kind of stuff. Um, and some of the interesting facts that they point out in here is some of the stuff that that was brought up during the remote ID discussion, uh, including um, the pin trap statute, uh, which criminalizes the use or installation of a device or process that records, decodes, or captures uh, dialing, routing, addressing signals. Um, it's not, let's see, DR, let's see, 
which is the acronym that DRAS or DRAS information. DRAS information is non-content information used to transmit or process communications depending on the system, which could include serial numbers, cell site information, uh, media access uh, control or MAC addresses, which would be uh, like if you have a router, they have MAC addresses, um, et cetera. Um, so the use of in or installation of a pin register or trap it or trace device is prohibited unless uh, there's a, a proper court order. Um, and then also the Wiretap Act, which uh, was extensively brought up during the remote ID, which prohibits uh, intentionally intercepting the content of any electronic communication unless it's per, uh, conducted pursuant to a court order. Um, so this could include signals, writing, images, sounds, data, or intelligence. So it brings into, it, it, it kind of points out that there's these large uh, legal boundaries that even uh, the U.S. government is saying you can't really breach. Um, so I'm wondering what the relation on this type of uh, these type of issues are going to bring to the remote ID uh, argument. Um, and then they go into the mitigation. So basically you have your detection where they detect a UAS and then you have your mitigation, which is uh, some way of defending against a UAS, whether that be, and they go into either kinetic or non-kinetic. Um, so kinetic would be basically using uh, an actual device um, like, a bullet or you know a, a net or something like that to bring down a drone whereas non-kinetic would be something which would be related to like signal jamming um or lasers or anything like that you know lasers with quotes right um so they go into issues with that um including uh the computer fraud and abuse act um which prohibits intentionally accessing a protected computer, which all our drones have computers on them, um, without authorization, thereby attaining, obtaining information or intentionally damaging a protected computer without authorization. Uh, there's also interference with the operation of a satellite, which would include GPS jamming. Um, so jamming, spoofing, degrading, or otherwise interfering with GPS signals to UAS or ground control station could be prohibited under this section as well as jamming uh, or interfering with any control signals uh, sent to UAS directly from a satellite. So we're not bouncing our signals off satellites yet, but you know, if we were, then there you go. But there are some you know, BVLOS uh, systems out there that I'm sure are gonna be using satellite communication. Um, and then you've got- uh, atomic, General Atomic already does with their large um, yeah. Raptor you know, level. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Big guys. Um, let's see. Um, this is an interesting article. This is nine. This is worth reading for those of us mm -hmm. really interested in the regulations. This is nine pages. And the fact that there are four separate agencies jointly put a any document out uh, today is, is pretty amazing. This probably took uh, several years to develop. Um, I have to believe that just as Josh, Josh was saying is that the timing of this prior to the uh, remote ID uh, final rule coming out in theoretically in December, I think this is a, a prereq uh, to that, that they're trying to reiterate that mm -hmm. uh, 
a federal agency is the only agency that is authorized to detect or uh, mitigate as as in counter UAS uh, work. So this is a, this is a an important document. We'll be reading it in detail mm-hmm. as background uh, in preparation for our for the uh, anticipated RID final rule. Yes, absolutely. So you know it's definitely uh, like Dave was saying worth a read. Um, they even go through airspace. Um, so basically, you know, public right of transit through navigable airspace. Um, and any kind of, you know, interference with that can be a violation. So it's just really, really interesting stuff. So this just came out, I think, like yesterday or the day before. Um, so uh, really interesting stuff. Um, now we've got, this is from Bloomberg. We've got... Uh, Apparently, Air Force One had a near miss with a small drone. Um, don't know what happened there, but uh, basically there were several reports, several witnesses that a device which was yellow and black and shaped like a cross was off the right side of the plane. Uh, it was seen by several passengers on the sh- jet shortly before it touched down at uh, uh, Joint Base Andrews in Maryland. Um, so I do know that, uh, I read a couple different articles, uh, regarding this, uh, basically everybody's, you know, investigating it. We got the Pentagon investigating and military, you know, different military factions are, are investigating it. Um, but, uh, they go, the interesting part about this article is it's the first time I haven't seen, um, Gatwick to to Bruce's comment here, not mentioned in an article regarding a near miss, um, but they do uh, talk about uh, a couple other uh, near misses. So uh, there have been a handful of instances in which drones actually struck aircraft, but none have resulted in a serious crash or injuries, according to the NTSB. Um, they did talk about a drone being flown uh, in New York City uh, when it struck the an army helicopter. Uh, uh, it did damage, but it was able to land safely. Uh, they talked about uh, the drone that hit, uh, most likely hit uh, uh, a helicopter in LA. Um, and uh, they did talk about uh, Newark uh, International uh, um, when a pilot nearly col- collided with a small drone, but they don't bring up Gatwick. It's amazing. It's like people are learning. I don't know, but uh, you know, it, it's just uh, so. There's that. Um, also, just be aware that if the president does come anywhere near you or your state, there's a TFR that's I forget forty uh, fifty miles wide from the airport. So thirty mile radius. Thirty. That's right. There was two yeah. of yeah. those in Minnesota. Uh, he flew into an airport about about six miles away from me and yeah it's like so i can't go fly my tiny whip in my backyard under the trees because the president is somewhere nearby in the state (laughs) yeah exactly a little crazy i was three miles from that border so i I was okay (laughs) (laughs) from that that the last time trump was in phoenix uh yeah they they put a a massive tfr up and uh i know he was in yuma over the weekend so uh or no yes a couple yesterday or day before yesterday um 
So yeah, the big uh, TFRs in place for the, for those. Um, also, DNC. Uh, at, uh, there's a TFR for that. So just make sure you're paying attention to the TFRs. For Definitely the don't want to get... mostly virtual DNC. Yeah, or are there actually they... a lot of people there? Well, the FAA did post a thing for you know a, a TFR for the DNC. So. Just kind of wondering if they've had those in the works when they were supposed to be in-person events, like the foot or the yeah. baseball games, and then they right. just still put them out there even though the crowds aren't there anymore. Yeah. All right, so uh, this is uh, pretty cool. We've got um, this comes from uh, via Aviation Pros, but from the U.S. Department of Transportation. Uh, Lane Chow announced on August sixth that the FAA is awarding three point three million dollars in research and training grants to universities that comprise the Air Transportation Center of Excellence, um, also known as, uh, or uh, as well as uh, the Alliance for System Safety of UAS through Research Excellence, which is also known as Assure. Um, Assure has been a topic of conversation among uh, hobbyists, uh, especially around when we were talking about uh, um, drone impacts and, and that kind of thing. Um, they put out that most people have probably seen it, the, the drone impact where they're using a phantom to collide with an airplane wing. Uh, you know, there's some interesting conversations around whether that was, you know, done the right way and using flawed data from that to, uh, basically create risk assessments. Um, but at any rate, um, a good chunk of this is going to the university of Mississippi, who is the, um, uh, kind of the they oversee the the sure coalition uh, i think there's quite a few different um looks like about 20 different uh universities that are a part of that program um including embry riddle uh new mexico state uc davis uh, tuskegee university on and on and on uh have you seen the FE simulation of the Phantom? I want to say I have, but you'd have to remind me of it. Um, let's see. One second, I'll pull up this one. I'm on Ashore's uh, website right now, real quick. Um, detecting noise. Well, what does the your... FE stand for there? An FE simulation? Finite, yeah. finite element, also finite difference type of uh, analyses. Something I spent two years of my life selling back in 1980 and 81. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, and continuing on on the um, FAA, we've got... Um, FAA continues drone integration initiative. So um, as part of the FAA uh, reauthorization, they were required to um, establish a collegiate training initiative program. Uh, so for those who might be interested in uh, getting an education in drones, uh, this article lists the uh, uh, Colleges and universities that have uh, drone training uh, drone training programs. Um, 
and uh, there's quite a few of them. Uh, a lot of them seem like they are community colleges, um, but there are some, let's see, we've got Embry-Riddle uh, and a couple, yeah, most of them are community colleges, but uh, um, if you're looking for an education in drones, that's just the first 33, there's 80 colleges in total. Uh, so with that, they talked about that during the symposium a bit, but those, so those are the first 33 that they sort of are officially working for with the CTI, uh -huh. but then there's a couple still working on the process of getting approved and all that stuff from the gotcha. CTI. And that there's like, I think it's like 81. So I just said 80, but yeah, uh, there's, so there's more schools out there that offer it. It's just. They're, they're still not... working through the process. Gotcha. Perfect. And they even, so with the CTI as well, uh, it initially says that they have to have associates or masters in UAS, but uh, I was talking to the person in charge of that, and she said that they're also looking for schools that even just like offer a certificate, like certification in UAS or something like that. Oh, cool. So they're opening it up to as many, they're trying to get as many schools as possible. Well, hey, that's a good thing. Yeah. And of interest is any of these schools accepting these grants, then uh, none of those schools would be able to uh, purchase um, drones, BNF drones that are made in China if the legislation that's uh, in the Senate uh, passes or the executive order that has the same uh, intent. Dave, are you screen capping my my computer? Because that was literally the next article I was going to bring up. <laughs> so, U.S. nears law banning Chinese drones. So, um, an amendment to ban U.S. government use of Chinese drones appears almost certain to become law within weeks. Uh, contained within the National Defense Authorization Act, the measure bans the purchase of commercial drones made by a covered foreign entity, including China, uh, by any U.S. government agency. The ban covers both purchases of new drones and flights of drones already in agencies' fleets, uh, which would need to end within six months. Um, the ban also extends to drone components, including drivetrains, crank cameras, and circuit boards. Uh, that, last, that, last, that last bit, I hope not, because they changed it. Um, let me click through and look at this uh, reference, um, because the updated uh, version of the legislation excluded components and it was just bnf drones hmm gotcha so we'll take a we'll take a look at that I, i'm not doubting that you're yeah i'm just it, reading what the article says here yeah. yeah the uh let's see it says the amendment has survived both the house and senate past versions of the national defense authorization act um and seems to be assured in the final legislation um yeah. okay 25 it's, i'm pretty sure it's 20, senate 2502 and that would be House forty-seven fifty-three, I think. I'll, yeah, I believe so. I'll take I'll take a look at that. Let me I'll glance at the Senate one because the House passed on February ten. Yeah. So this one says originally offered last year as a standalone legislation called the American Security Drone Act. The amendment prohibits the purchase of drones and components from countries deemed national security threats. Uh, the ban extends to use of federal grants and contracts for purchase of these items by state and local governments. Um, 
The ban is aimed primarily at Chinese drone maker DJI, which controls 70% of the U.S. drone market um, and has repeatedly denied that data from its drones is harvested by the Chinese government. So there's that. Uh, And on that same note, DJI is having a little bit of a rough time of it because India, and I know this is not U.S.-based, but this is interesting news. This comes from Drone DJ. Uh, over in India, um, plans to give permission for drone flights through its digital sky system, allowing drones to fly above 70% of India's landmass. Basically, the new rules uh, uh, are a, um, they're calling it, uh, let's see, no permission, no takeoff. Um, and they have separated the landmass uh, into green, yellow, and red zones. Uh, the green and yellow zones allow for drones to fly within uh, uh, allow drones to fly within the zones, having various limitations in place for safety concerns. Red zones have been activated, consisting of urban areas, military installations, airports, and border areas. The country's strict no permission, no takeoff rules will force pilots wanting to fly a drone larger than the excluded nano category to apply for a flight permission beforehand. Uh, they will need to provide the time of flight, their credentials, and the intended to flight envelope. This is done through the Digital Sky mobile app. So what's uh, the nano category then? Well, I, I'd i have to... Let me click through real quick. Um, I don't see it on that page. But, but uh, the local Indian uh, drone manufacturer shared that if flight permissions are only given using its government's Digital Sky platform, foreign drones such as DJI and Parrot that are not uh, NPNT or no permission, no takeoff compliant would be considered illegal, forcing them out of the country. Uh, so that's a little bit of a rough time. Let's see. I'm going to click through. You know, give permission to local drone. This would force these leave the door open for local manufacturers. I don't know. That would be an interesting. I'll have to dig into that a little bit. But yeah, a little bit of a rough week for DJI there. Um, let's see. They put, uh, I, thought, I brought up, I brought up the Senate 2502. They put the language back in. It is. Did they uh, really? Including any original equipment manufacturer, flight controllers, radios, data transmission devices, cameras, or gimbals manufactured in a covered country. So it does say that it's OEM manufacturer. So it's possible that they're going to reference a, you know, say you've got a Mavic Air and so it's, you cannot purchase the flight controller of a Mavic Air, but if you're purchasing a standalone um, flight controller, that's just something that we're going to use in an FPV drone. That could, is, uh, if I'm reading this correctly, that's not covered because it would not be considered an OEM uh, component. Right, right. So interesting. Well, yep. Those components and flight controllers can well be used on non-flight devices too, if you wanted to. Absolutely, like the mm-hmm. Skydio. Skydio uses an Nvidia, uh, Nvidia GPU, so that's that's going to be interesting. And it's it manufactured is. in Taiwan. Ooh, <laughs> is Taiwan China? <laughs> Won't go there. Well, <laughs> that's opening up another can of worms. <laughs> that's who you talk to. Right. Okay, so that is definitely um, legislation to keep a very close eye on. <laughs> All right, so I thought this was really cool. Uh, This is uh, out of Florida. Um, 
And this is a Israeli developed drone that uh, Florida uh, Florida power plant is using to spot storm damage after hurricanes. Um, so this is the Percepto Sparrow. Uh, it's a drone in the box technology. Um, and they have put it through the has been it has been certified by Florida International University's Wall of Wind, which is a wind tunnel simulation facility that subjected uh the uav to gusts up to 150 miles an hour uh which is pretty crazy so the whole uh point of this is to get out after hurricanes in the direct aftermath of a hurricane to assess any damage um so if it can handle 150 mile an hour wind does that mean it's capable of traveling over 150 miles an hour in no wind <laughs> right <laughs> that would be interesting or it can just navigate the gusts effectively perhaps um so uh the cool thing with these they're completely autonomous there's no need for a pilot to be well let me let me correct that statement they are autonomous there's no need for a pilot to be present um they fly a pre-programmed route and return to the station to download download the data and get recharged um, these are also being used in Italy. Um, so pretty, pretty incredible that they can get out and, and do that kind of, kind of work for, uh, those folks over in Florida. I missed this Dave, and I don't know if you knew about this. Um, the drone responders release, uh, principles on responsible use, uh, to police uh, they call it the five C's. Did you know about this, Dave? I have been talking to um, Charles Werner about the five C's. I, I've not seen this uh, this document. Okay. So um, they state, so drone responders, uh, for those who don't know, um, it's a nonprofit program that helps first responders, public safety, and emergent, emergency management professionals implement and maximize UAS technology. Um, they have created the five C's. Um, so the five C's, uh, stand for community, community engagement and transparency. Public service is a public trust when developing and operating a drone program it's critical to engage in an ongoing conversation with the community you serve, uh, effective community engagements consists of two parts, public participation and transparency, uh, civil, civil liberties and privacy protection is number two. Uh, every drone program should be predicated on the protection of privacy and the promotion of civil liberties. Agencies should develop safeguards and training procedures that advance those objectives across every element of the program. Uh, number three, common operating procedures. The uh, department should develop and adopt common operating procedures to guide the use of drones. Uh, the five C's provide a roadmap for the development of operating procedures that account for best practices in the field on top are on topics such as FAA compliance and video management practices uh, designed to protect privacy. Clear oversight and accountability. Agencies need to establish robust oversight measures designed to ensure compliance and accountability along with clear oversight processes that combine both internal and external measures. And of course, the biggest one would be, uh, for me at least, would be cybersecurity. Uh, modern drones are more than flying, simple flying machines. Drones have become network connected devices that should be subject to cybersecurity reviews. So uh, this is uh, pretty good stuff here. 
Yeah, and uh, this is an organization that we've um, reached out to and gained mm -hmm. a, that, that's who Charles Werner is. He's one of the directors of this. Uh, uh, it's a, also a nonprofit. And one of the things that they're working on with uh, ASTM is a practical exam for a commercial, uh, but most importantly for uh, municipalities so that we have uh, first responders uh, having to go through some level of training in order to mm -hmm. uh, fly a drone in a uh, in an emergency situation. Uh, so I think uh, that's that's a real plus. I'm I'm not a tremendous fan of the uh, practical they have in mind. It does not seem uh, terribly sophisticated or difficult, but uh, um, it is a, a good start. And they've got uh, the right organizations uh, focused on it, with uh, including ASTM and uh, I think ICAO is also involved. So again, you know, why are why are we interested from a recreational perspective? I'm interested because this is yet another opportunity for us to demonstrate a pool of um, resource opportunity. That is, people who could uh, go to work for um, front frontline uh, emergency response organizations around the country. Absolutely, I'm positive. All right. So, and this one is courtesy of Dave, sent this to me in my email the other day. Um, NASA powers up the Ingenuity Mars helicopter. Um, so this was launched uh, a couple weeks, uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, so they powered up the helicopter's six lithium ion batteries and charged them for the first time. Um, the uh, Engines four pounds, which is currently stowed beneath the Perseverance's belly. Um, so it's uh, they basically gave it a test drive. Um, they launched this on July 30th, so yeah, a couple days about 20 days ago. Um, uh, since everything went by the book, they'll perform the same activity every two weeks to maintain the batteries. Um, takes about eight hours to charge the batteries. That's interesting. Um, the batteries were only charged to 35% of their maximum in order to maintain optimal battery health. Hey, look at that. Storage charge in space, guys. That's awesome. Um, let's see if the experimental test flights go according to plan. Ingenuity will prove, pro prove that robotic flight is possible on Mars. So, <laughs> of course, this is a long way to walk before they get there <laughs> yeah uh it will be interesting to see uh how they how they do over there but it'll be cool we can say we've got drone technology on another planet now right so i believe that yeah, as is... long as they're not flying them fpv because that latency will be a killer <laughs> right can you imagine what's the i remember it's i think it's something like that yeah I have to find out now because I was watching something on the Curiosity rover and they were talking about the latency. Let's see. On yeah, Curiosity. Bruce is saying 20 minutes. Rover. Let's see. Yeah, it's going to take longer than a Google search. 9 to 40. Uh, let's see. I'm sure it depends how 40, far away Mars happens to be seconds. at the time. Yeah, it says it's between 9 and 42 minutes round trip. So, yeah, starting at twenty, about 20 minutes and going up significantly. But uh, that's pretty awesome. 
No worse than a big good FPV camera true story. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> so uh yeah, that's all the news I have for you today. I think the biggest part is this advisory, and I encourage everyone to read it. I know we'll be digging into it just to see where we stand on that kind of stuff and how we can use that on remote ID. So there's also a, a document uh, called an unmanned aircraft systems operating manual that uh, is being uh, written and uh, it's in a review. And uh, we, I got a hold of that through uh, uh, colleagues working uh, with the uh, drone advisory committee. Uh, we asked if we could uh, comment on the document and uh, the folks working and managing the uh, the edits of this document are happy to accept our comments. So we'll be submitting uh, those comments. It looks like a pretty straightforward document and we'll just try to add a little value add here and there, make sure recreation, uh, recreational UAS is well represented. Looks is pretty good. Is that something we're far. able to share or is that we can't share the document or we can? Can't, I don't think we're able to share this document at this point. This is being uh, sent out um, by the FAA to um, uh, this org the third party organization it's under contract so okay. we were able they we got agreement so this is not something we can uh, we can post at this point but it will be it will be a public document yeah i gotta dig into that still yeah i can i can take it's only 147 pages so oh well you know hey it's shorter than the remote id so hey that's a win right yeah it's good, exactly good god so have people, people been been following Bruce's ADSB alarm system he's working on? Give us a rundown, Bruce. What can I say? Um, I've been <laughs> testing it. It's working really well. <laughs> and the thing I like about this is that it throws the ball back into the manned aviation community's court. If you don't want to encounter a drone, fit ADSB to your aircraft, and you you won't. If you, everyone's using these alarms, it works out. The New Zealand price is about 125 bucks for the parts, which is, I think, 22 cents US, maybe more. Maybe it's half. The, I think it's about 60 bucks US for the parts. And you can Bruce, try it in five a, minutes. I, I assume this is ADSB in only, and so that's what this yeah, is a receiver? Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, just a receiver. It enables you to set thresholds, so it'll alert you if an aircraft comes within a certain radius. You can say if an aircraft intrudes into my, my say, one mile zone it will and below a certain height then it will basically create an alarm and but if an aircraft's flying above the minimum height it doesn't bother you with alarms because it knows you're nowhere near it and just enables you to create sort of an intrusion zone which is, if anything comes into that it will alert you to that and you can set the distance either by distance or by speed so a very fast aircraft you might or you may say i want anything that's coming towards me and it's as soon as, alert me as soon as it is say uh two minutes out and the fast aircraft that might be at like you know five miles, and a slow aircraft that might be at two miles. So, uh, gotcha. yeah. And I'm also at the moment I'm also looking at adding a VHF scanner to the system to enable you to listen to aircraft radio traffic. Oh, hmm. that's awesome. Well, there's no that's way we can perfect. have something like this. It puts all of our spotters out of a job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Talk to CIA about that. <laughs> <laughs> So you just need to add on to it uh, a way to like a, a ground-based radar system, so you can see when you know 
John Q. Publix walking through your FPV flight path, and then yeah, we got a digital spotter. So, interact. So, I mean, if you could <laughs> add that to your OSD, like uh, <laughs> a heads-up yeah, display that shows you where it is. I'll have a little sign-up when I'm flying. People entering this park must have ADSB on them. <laughs> and then I'll know when they're coming. <laughs> it's a safety Excellent. thing. If they're concerned Excellent. about their safety, the, the ball's in their court. Right. Bruce, are you targeting a, uh, a threshold wait, wait for the uh, device? Well, it doesn't go in the air. It goes on your belt, so it doesn't matter what it weighs, unless you're really weak. <laughs> oh, okay. So you're not putting yeah, it on the air it on aircraft. Your... Yeah, no, it fits on your belt, or you can stick it on the ground, and mm -hmm. it it's basically works from there. So you basically That's have awesome. an audio alert. In fact, I've got speech synthesis. I'm working on that now, so it'll talk to you and say, aircraft, Charlie, Delta, Whiskey, two miles out, you know, um, from the northwest. So you'll know what's happening. You won't have, If you're flying FPV, it'll talk to you in your ear. You won't have to look at anything but if mm -hmm. you're flying line of sight of course you can look it's got an lcd display you can look at that and get more information if you want to yeah Excellent. dave pretty much think of it as a perfect automated spotter that will let you know when any aircraft are near you that's whatever perfect. you specify it to be i want to go that's the goal yeah and it's, cool. it's very easy to put together i've used off-the-shelf components all you need is a little sd card with an image of the of the firmware which will be it's all open source so anyone will be able to download it build it themselves so i'm it's just people have said you should crowdfund it but i'm sure some will build it and charge someone for it but it's you can't put a price on safety eh true story yeah excellent so are you putting up the uh the parts list and some instructions bruce Yep, yep. I'll be doing that next week. I'll be doing a bit of a rollout. What I want to do actually is just do a little bit of a press release as well and let the media know, which lets the regulators know that we're taking the initiative when it comes to safety. We're not waiting for them to come out with rules. We're taking a big, bold step ourselves to show our commitment to safety. That could do some benefit for the whole community, I think. I agree. Yeah, let us know. We'll uh, do whatever we can to uh, uh, amplify it. For sure. Yeah, and I've bought enough to make four or five units. So I'm going to send some out to other people to test and try and get feedback as well. Um, the more we have in the field, then if there's any issues, we can sort them out. But as I say, people yeah. will probably fork the fork the software and add their own features and so forth. Is Because one of the things you could add is like a, a spectrum analyzer for 915 megahertz. If you're flying crossfire, it'll give you a, a sweep of the band, tell you if there's any noise, that sort of thing. Because it's a software-defined radio receiver and it's all driven with firmware, yeah. once you've got the, the, the hardware, you can do almost anything with it. Yeah, yeah for sure. Brilliant. Yeah. I love it. Create a, a little RC Explorer with AD, ADSB capability. That's awesome. Yeah. Perfect. That's incredible. All right. Uh, anybody have anything else? Alex, do you want to share anything from the symposium? Uh, I guess I can. Um, so some interesting comments from Jay that he Jay Merkel that he said. So he said that he didn't think UAS operators wanted to travel to events. So he like basically okay. ignored Flight Fest and all the other big RC events. Yeah. Wow. And he said the symposium was the event that all the UAS operators wanted to go to. Like people okay. don't want to travel this year or No, in general. In general. In general. Yikes. Oh, we've yeah. got West Coast throwdowns happening right now. So yeah, I see that. FPV people all the time constantly even just want to get neck uh, meet up with yeah. anybody. Right. Um, yeah, so that's and the UAS something. symposium is the event, huh? Yeah. Yep, that's what he said. Basically. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no I mention can... of IO or flight yep, test or Nothing well, I mean that just that just goes to show he's not clued into the recreational Seriously, community. Period. Yeah. Like, and and that goes to my my point back uh, a couple you know episodes or or, or meetings yeah. ago 
uh, yeah, that, about that's, that's curious in as much as that you know he spent a fair amount of time with uh, Josh Bixler and yeah so you know the um head okay. of uh, flight test and I'm certain that they talked about flight fest so mm-hmm. that, that sounds that feels like some convenient uh, memory yeah out of, out of sight out of mind man <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. but yeah. I'm not sure how many of you operate under 107 but there seems to be uh some other more works with 107 to release in December, such as uh, options for night ops and flying over people. Yeah, we knew that was coming. Um, so, yeah. They released those. Uh, uh, yeah. Those sh- okay. were they NPRM? I think they were NPRMs regarding uh, uh, those mm-hmm. two categories. So. December is going to be a busy month. Yep. Apparently, we're gonna. They're we're also gonna have trying a lot to announce. Yeah, they're also trying to announce the CBOs and release the test by December. So. Oh, everything's oh. aiming for December. At least that's what they're saying. The recreational so, test by yep, December. Rec- that's what they're aiming for, and they're aiming to get CBOs recognized and announced by then because they have to. Or, yeah. Okay, so where's the administering? So, yeah, so where's the application to become a CBO if they're going to announce? Eh? They haven't. They're. I think they're. So Kevin Moore said said that he's that they're trying to. So they're going to be updating Drone Zone for the applications to be CBOs. Uh-huh. So CBOs are going to apply through Drone Zone. They said they're going to. It's going to be. Uh, you can't submit the application until you have all the paperwork you need, and then there's also going to be. So they're going to be revamping Drone Zone and adding a lot of features. It seems like. Okay. Uh, so CBOs apply through there. But I think since the CBOs have to since they have to have their rule set and for for 44809 i think that's what it is uh they obviously technically have to fly under cbo ruling or mm-hmm. uh, safety guidelines safety guidelines yeah yeah uh so they have to have the cbo's for that uh so they're trying to get that out sooner than december so that cbo's can be announced in december okay i was going to ask if you were if it sounded like they were trying to announce who is a cbo in december or announce how you become one in december and it sounds like you're yeah. saying they'll announce the process who? earlier and then yeah. show the approvals in december yes that's what right. it seems like that's what it sounded like interesting well we'll have to keep a keep a watch on that because uh we've got a lot of that stuff in place hopefully we can kind of speed through that process quickly so uh that'll be a a good deal it's finally time that they're getting around to this they were supposed to do this oh i don't know a year and a half ago alex did they um did they talk of did kevin reference what the Mm -hmm. specifics are you have to have all of the all the information uh, in place before you can apply i assume that's being a uh, 501c3 having a safety mm-hmm. guidelines did he go into any detail he uh he basically just said uh, what what the reauthorization act said is yep. what you need that they said they're not asking for more that's going to be all you need pretty much okay good to know all we've right got all, we've got all that yeah so for sure yeah so and, uh, and for those uh listening it's um you have to, in order to be a community-based organization, you needed to be a 501c3. You needed to have a set of safety guidelines. You needed to provide education and safety guidance to a defined community. With I think that was it. Yeah. Okay. So it's a good deal. Well, 
we'll we'll finally get around to that. That's that's awesome. We've been waiting for yeah. that for forever. So that's very that's very helpful, Alex. Yes. Thank you for passing that along. Uh, the other yeah. bit is on the uh, knowledge exam. Are the is that going to be a a date for a date that is uh, similar to Dan's point? Are they going to tell us when you know when that might happen, or do we I think that the December is going to roll out the questionnaire? December, I think, is when they're going to roll out the applications to be a test test administrator uh-huh. to be a testing organization. Yep, gotcha. So December is going to be a busy month for yeah. UAS. Yeah, interesting. And by proxy, a busy month for us. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, that's good information. Thank you, Alex. Start um, asking for time off from work for December now. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, right? There's some vacation, man. All right. Well, all right. Anybody else have anything? All right. Well, with that, uh, I thank you all for coming. And uh, as always, uh, if you have anything you would like to share or anything you have information on or uh, just need help with something, feel free to hit us up and uh, we'll see if we can take care of that for you. And hopefully see you all again in two weeks. Absolutely. Thank you. Have a good evening. Have a great night, everybody. And good morning to Bruce. Yeah, true story.